cliffcentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Roman is present once again. Present back in the country from uh, Portugal. Apparently, it's yeah, the, the country known as Portugal. And I'll tell you what, Jonathan, Portugal is not like the, you know, the most, how can I say, progressive place in, in Europe by any means. But they just um, voted in like a socialist government who are in a coalition with the communists. Mm-hmm. And guess what? That's the, not surprising. Right. Sure. No, of course not. But guess what they talk about? Land. No, actually, <laughs> they talk about how much economic growth should be sufficient for Portugal to so, progress. So they don't forward. want to take land from one group and give it to another group. Can you believe it? They don't want to take away land. They don't want to, well, whatever. I mean, it's difficult because they're not African nationalists there. But another cool thing about Portugal, they let 5,000 refugees in from Syria. Okay. A week later, 4,500 left to go to Germany. <laughs> <laughs> so even the refugees don't want to stay there Because uh, things are better in Germany, obviously Apparently so, but Portugal's great, so I enjoyed it um, But we just like so far behind in terms of our political thinking It's quite remarkable I just uh, Like what we talk about, like land and it's, You speak to the Portuguese guys, like, yeah, that was cool, like in 1927 <laughs> You know, and now it's like, no, how much economic growth do we need just to Make life easier for everyone. Yeah, well, hopefully we can mature there a bit quicker than 100 years. Hopefully so. What we need is a benevolent dictator for like 40 years in the vein of Salazar mm. like the Portuguese had. Well, I mean, she's in waiting. She? Yeah, Helen Zilla. She's about oh, right. to be uh, chucked from the DA. Well, she and then she can become our Lee Kuan Yew because she already kind of thinks Singapore's yes. good. And uh, she does acknowledge that uh, you can build on some of the shit that uh, – Colonialism left behind, which is exactly what Singapore did. Uh, so we 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 good to go. Unfortunately, and she, people hate her. That's also right, important. Right. Unfortunately, you know? she won't last forty years. We need someone a bit younger. I'll, I'll nominate myself. <laughs> I don't believe you'll be benevolent, but okay. Talking about benevolence and talking about economic growth, we are uh, trying to economically grow this podcast, uh, and the way we're doing that now is through Patreon. Uh, Patreon is an an online platform whereby you can support creators of content uh, that you like. So other people you might listen to, people like Dave Rubin, people uh, like Sam Harris, I think he's on yeah, there. Patreon, um, um, Sargon Avocado is on there. A lot of a lot of content creators. Are yeah. On so there. you may have already be involved in contributing to these people. Um, basically, how it works is you can pledge anything from actually a dollar. Um, but we have created platforms at three, five, and ten dollars uh, per month. So, <clears throat> so if you go for the three dollar platform, you're looking at about forty bucks a month. Uh, you can pledge forty bucks a month. That comes to us less some charges. Those bloody capitalists. Um, they take about ten percent. And then what happens is we're going to take that money as we get a bit more and more money. We've got a goal to get to five hundred dollars uh, at first per month. Um, People like Ruben are making $30,000 a month. So if we get there, um, obviously the Ferrari will come first. But well, if we get there, I'm going, I'm leaving this country, man. <laughs> I'll do this podcast from the Maldives. Um, but, but, um, 
what we we want to do stuff that will enhance the podcast. We want to create uh, certain events for our listeners. Uh, and what you'll see is at each stage of um, giving, of donation, there are different um, rewards that you can get. Uh, so $10, for example, gets you to engage directly with us privately. And we're going to uh, launch uh, some sort of engagement where we have certain guests um, that you might want to engage with. You'll be able to do that directly. And uh, then you also even get a cool Renegade Report mug. Uh, and then the lower platforms come with some uh, other rewards, including some of those. And as they go down, obviously, they drop down because, well, you know, you've got to be rewarded. Right. But I mean, let's just talk about – so the goal of, of Patreon – the reason why we've decided to become self-funded, so to speak, or through donations from you, uh, is because we are – we like to be a bit, a bit provocative, a bit edgy. Um, advertisers don't like that yet. So in order to – to make the podcast as good as possible and to ex- to expand the mediums. So we want to have a videographer to come in to put this on YouTube, for example, to cut out uh, segments or clips of video or audio, stick that around to, you know, to make a good point uh, for marketing purposes. And then sooner or later, we actually want to host like big events where we have some of our guests, you know, have like a keynote speech. And a debate perhaps. Yeah. And a debate and, um, and like, you know, and, People who contribute to Patreon or our listeners will have like, you know, first go at the tickets, for example. We really want to make this a bit more of a, a movement than a podcast. And we want you to be part of the movement. Absolutely. So you've done so already by listening and by clicking on the link on your phone, and we really appreciate that. But if you've got a couple of uh, shekels, as Ramon refers to them, to spare every month, uh, you can rescind your money at any point should we say something to offend your poor little snowflake feelings. Um, but other than that, we'd really appreciate the help. Right. And please don't feel obligated. The economy is in turmoil and shit like that. Um, but if you do, uh, we'll be very grateful and you will notice the improvements on your favorite podcast. Right, Ramon, do you want to introduce our guest for the week? Certainly so. So our guest for the week is John, also known as Mouthy Buddha. Now, Mouthy Buddha has a YouTube channel called Mouthy Buddha, and both of us are quite big fans. Yeah, he does some uh, really good stuff. Um, he's oh. also got a film background, and uh, his videos are cool looking as well. So uh, I mean, the, uh, the editing... He's, he's killing some of the other YouTubers in that respect, but, he, but his ideas are great too. And I followed him... About four months ago, when he had 3,000 subscribers, now he has almost 20,000. So, thankfully, a lot of other people are are watching him too. So, But, John, welcome so much. Uh, well, welcome. Jesus, listen yeah, to me. Listen to welcome to the English. show. And it's th- Africa, John. You'll have to excuse, excuse our English. Yes. <laughs> well, so, welcome to the show, and, and thank you so much for joining us. Fuck, I sound like Oprah. But nevertheless, welcome. Yeah, uh, thank you very much for having me, guys. No, I mean, the pleasure is entirely all ours. So the reason why we, well, yes, we reached out to you. You had a, a, a guy called Simon Roach on your your YouTube channel a few, a few weeks ago, and he's part of what's called the Sederlanders, who are this, right. this, this group of people who are worried about, you know, an upcoming revolution in South Africa. So they, you know, hoarding food and training and things like that. And I watched the video and... I was not too happy with the responses that, you, you know, he, he, his responses to you, rather. But before we get into Simon Roach and the Sederlanders, let's talk a little bit about 
your political evolution over the past, say, three, two to three years? Because you made a video called Ethno-Nationalism, which came out, I believe, this week or last week. And you, for 13 minutes, you, you talk about political ideology, culture, where you come from. So let us talk a bit about that, because the alt-right has risen. And in your early work, it seems like you were sort of okay with the alt-right and their ideas. But please expand on that. Yeah, well, I certainly have changed just a lot of people, I would say, honestly, due to YouTube a lot. I think that YouTube has done quite a lot to to mold my views and to push them a bit more to the right. Although, I would say that I, I'm still a liberal in in most regards. A liberal in the sense that I'm just left of center now, but I have swung all over the political map recently. And this was due to me kind of watching things like the Young Turks and stuff like that. But more and more, as race was becoming an issue, I found myself disagreeing with and really getting upset with the way progressive news outlets would cover these events. I found them to be profoundly intellectually dishonest about race, about identity, about really those issues which were becoming more and more important to me for whatever reason. So for a little bit, I did, uh, as they would say, take the red pill and kind of dive into the deep end of kind of an alt-right ideology in the sense that I felt that white people were being uh, – can I cuss on this channel or, or, or no? Uh, yeah, you can I, go for it. Okay. Well, I, I was going to say that, that white people are kind of being bitched around in a sense, or at least that there's this, there is this feeling among some white people that they're not being listened to. And if they ever bring up the fact that, hey, I'm white and I kind of feel like I'm being picked on here, well, they just get laughed at by progressives. So this did send me, I, I, I wouldn't say into all aspects of the alt-right, but there were some that I was like, okay, that's cool. But after further you know, research and really looking looking into these ideas, they're antithetical to my my morality and my my ethics. I I do not believe that anyone has to leave on the basis of race. I live in a multicultural, you know, Houston, Texas. It's profoundly multicultural here, and we all get along. And you know, I I value other cultures. Now, I'm honest about the failure of multiculturalism in Europe. In my view, I think that that's been kind of a disaster, at least in the sense that they're, they're, they're too open and they're not regulating enough of kind of the Islamist ideology that's kind of taken, taken root over there. But so just generally speaking, I would say right now I side with liberals on paper in the sense that I'm pro-choice, you know, I'm for you know, gay, gay rights, gay marriage. Um, I'm against the death penalty, but I defend free speech and that <laughs> for some reason, defending free speech has become this conservative position. But yeah, that I would say that pretty much that's kind of where I'm at now, more of a liberal position. But sometimes like Dave Rubin says, 
defending liberal principles looks conservative nowadays. Yeah, uh, it, it can do. Um, sorry, uh, my mic, uh, I'm pl- playing games with the board here. Uh, it, it, certainly <laughs> it can, can look like that. Um, I'm, just, I'm just wondering because uh, Dave says that it can look like that, but I'm wondering if it isn't, isn't exactly that. So it, it, it seems like there's been a seismic shift um, and the metaphor works really well because it's, it's almost as if the um, tectonic plates where left and right used to stand have shifted. Uh, I wasn't really paying that much attention to these issues with your election, but uh, if I'm not mistaken, several of the Republican candidates, when asked questions like where do you stand on gay rights or gay marriage uh, or you know the death penalty, several of them probably would have answered with a relatively liberal, what I'd like to now refer to as a classically liberal answer, um, and not mm. and not really with a traditional conservative answer, um, as as you know, Mark Pence is the traditional sort of right wing conservative, um, in that he's completely against gay marriage and gay rights, and he'd be pro the death penalty and all those kinds of things. You've got a you've got a kind of a shift where the rights come more towards centre, certainly in the mainstream right people who want to earn votes for the most part. Um, and the left has completely fallen off the other side. And, are, you know, they talk about the alt-right, but the left is the alt-left. But the problem is there's mm. no alt-left because the left, the whole left almost occupies the alt-left. Um, what, do you, what, do you, what do you think of, about sort of that as, as, a, as a way of looking at it? Yeah, I think you're right. I think that the ground has moved beneath a lot of our feet, and we've kind of – I know that I've remained relatively principled on free speech and, and yeah, on, on gay rights and in all of these issues. But, yeah, I, I would I, – I do think there is so much of a political shift right now in America, and, you know, the Overton window is getting pushed so far to the right and the left that we're just <laughs> – we're just kind of dancing around these these different movements that are springing up more and more. And I think that, I mean, as far as politics goes, it, in my view, it's never been more interesting or fun or exciting. People <laughs> tend to think yeah. that, right, people tend to think to get overwhelmed by it. And I, and I, I really think that that, that seems uh, natural, uh, but... Okay, we've lost the feed. Let's get that back. So what you, what you were saying was um, uh, about you said but and and then we lost you. It was uh, all all in relation right. to that. I don't know if you want to try pick it up from there. And we'll kind of edit it in. Okay, cool. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, what I was talking about was that I I fully agree with. The, the idea that things are moving and rapidly going in different directions right now politically in America. And there's this kind of growing culture of offense that's also kind of infecting even just day-to-day conversations with my friends. And I think that many people are kind of catching on to this and, and really starting to notice that people are on edge when they talk about politics and when they talk about their views. People – Lately, if you disagree with them, there is this kind of attack mentality that they feel personally persecuted, and this is because they wrap up so much of their identity 
in their political worldview, and I think that's a problem. Another problem with the with the left is that they actually do make arguments that words are actually violent, mm. or or motions or gestures are actually violent too, uh, despite the fact that there's no physical violence taking place. So, so when that when that meme came out, the punch a Nazi meme, when they punched you know Richard Spencer in the face, um, the argument when people agreed with punching Nazis, the argument was. But it doesn't matter if they're actually violent. Their words themselves, you know, calling for who knows what. I don't think Richard Spencer has ever called for a genocide, for example. But right. even even Richard Spencer talking is violent. So you can uh, defend yourself from such violence with physical violence. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, yeah, they, they, they seem to have kind of held on to the idea that just because – they personally feel offended by someone uh, expressing verbs out of their mouths uh, that they can therefore – that can justify actual violence. That's silly. I think that people need to get more familiar with how their minds work and how – because well, like within university campuses, for example, there's no sense of placing any kind of of – I wouldn't say blame, but of, of personal responsibility onto the people who are so sensitive about words. So, so no one's getting up to them and saying, okay, so when Richard Spencer speaks, how does it make you feel? And then they would probably say, well, I, I get scared and then, you know, and then I have all these weird sensations and I just I, – I, I need to scream and I get offended. Well, okay, well, where is that sensation? And they would say, huh, well, uh, it's kind of maybe in my chest or something like that. Uh, okay, okay, cool. Well, let's get mindful of that. Let's bring a picture of Richard Spencer up here and then talk to them about how their mind is propelling these feelings of fear and, and injustice. Not to say that Richard Spencer is this amazing person who has great points. Okay, I'm not here to de- – I really hate what they've done because they've made me defend people like Richard Spencer constantly. And I, I don't like to have to do that, but I I really think that they should be placing some more emphasis and personal responsibility onto ourselves and how we perceive our own reactions. Well, yes, but uh, self self control and and responsibility was never a forte of the left. I'm afraid mm. uh, it's always weird. Conservatives are qu- okay, maybe today, but. Conservatives will always live and let live unless you're gay or not Christian or a different race, generally speaking. But um, I mean, oh, it's quite a list, eh? How's that for a list? And, and I think I might disagree on some of them, but still. or a Jew, but other, or a Jew, right, right? But other than those very small caveats, you know, conservatives were like live and let live. Just don't you know shit on my lawn and tell me you give me a gift, um, but. Us liberals, and I, you know, all three of us are classical liberals. We literally, I wish people would know how much I literally don't give a fuck about what they think or do. <laughs> like, I wish people would know that because I really, really don't care at all. And I'm sure you don't either, John. But unfortunately, their behavior has forced, not forced you, but has, has you know, has prompted you to, to fight back and say, chaps, Acting this way does not help you, 
does not help your message and it just creates this binary political force that you're fighting make you know it makes your opponents much stronger but they never mm. seem they never seem to understand that no they don't because they always fall back on the platitude of well this is bad for society and they really do see words as which okay i mean at at a certain extent obviously there is a kernel of truth to that in the sense that conversations are responsible for moving societies forward i totally grant that and i think that that's true we have to talk in order to you know we have to talk about morality we have to talk about public policy about 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 we have to talk about ideas and ideas is what kind of motivates behavior and is what propels societies forward so what they say is that if you if you bring to light these these terrible ideas well we can't do that because then you will inspire others to follow through with these movements that don't make any sense and therefore that'll turn into a more violent world and that that's why they get scared that's their argument that words have these but you're right in my view the position of saying well okay hold on everybody just calm down a second let this guy get up and speak, and then we can uh, debate him or talk to him. And you know, other than this thing, I really don't care either. Like, I, it's it's a it's a position that I have to occupy, or else I would go crazy. I would go absolutely insane if every time somebody got up and spoke that I disagreed with, it was the end of the world, and I had to go protest and I had to go talk about it. No, man. I mean, it's a free society. If you want to talk about your ideas. No matter how crazy they are, that's that's on you. And but it, it really is a growing culture, I would say. I mean, Canada right now they keep passing bill after bill uh, that are really these kind of authoritarian laws that are it, it's deeply troubling what they're doing over there. I think they recently just passed Bill eighty nine, um, which says that if you are a parent and your child identifies with a different gender and if if you as a parent don't go along with this they can take your kids yeah that's so uh, insane right that that that's that's pretty intense but but, you know the the interesting thing is is that uh, as with a lot of these things they end up um hurting the people that they're supposedly protecting uh, or at least those views so Mm. a law like you've just cited in canada um i would bet that uh, it would be, you know, someone who's a bit more on the left who would tell their kids at a very young age that they can choose to be any gender. You're not going to find someone on the right uh, doing that as a common thing. Um, most people, I would estimate, who on the center or the right of the political spectrum tell their, their boy or their girl that they're a boy or a girl. Um, but <laughs> someone on the left is going to put that idea into their four-year-old's mind and tell them that, you know, um, along with like the Bill Nye video, that uh, mm. their vagina has a voice and uh, it, right. can, it can choose to be whatever it likes and check check old Bill Nye dancing along. Um, and and so their, their four-year-old, is it's going to be a child on the left that's most likely to identify like that. Um, and a lot of these things, it's interesting because a lot of these ideas are great until they happen to you. So the left has a lot of these ideas. Um, uh, equality is great until uh, one day uh, you are Leo DiCaprio and then you can't get in your private jet because not everyone has a private jet. So 
you, you, you have <laughs> right. to fly commercial, Leo. Um, and, and also you've got to sit in economy because business class is a separation of classes. So there's only economy class. Um, so a lot of these things will inevitably bite the people who think that they're having things protect them. And I, I would say in that example, exactly the same thing. It's going to be a kid on the left who's going to get taken away from his parents who at some point go, no, 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 we like the idea of that, but, but not our child. Um, <laughs> right. right, right, yeah, it's, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more uh, about the equality thing as well. I, I do, obviously we want political equality for everyone, everyone should be equal under the law, but other than that, I really like the idea of competition and, you know, allowing people the freedom to, you know, do what they want and make the kind of money they want, but on the gender thing. That is an interesting, weird little phenomenon that's been <laughs> popping up lately. It, it, it really, I, I it heard you wanted so to say crazy. weird fucking phenomenon. Oh, right. <laughs> I did, I did. <laughs> but it, it, it is bizarre uh, because I never used to be a person who would stick up for traditional values. Again, like I used to be this progressive guy who thought all conservatism and all, all notions of traditional values need to be tossed out the window and, you know, the – the Constitution, the American Constitution, is a living, breathing document that will progress. As sort of, and, it, and it is obviously, but you know, now I'm a lot more careful when I say that. But when it comes to the gender thing, it's fascinating because these leftists are willing to say and put the law where their mouth is that when it comes to gender identity and expression. They are willing to allow the child to say – like let's say it's a boy and the boy just says, "This is, I've, I'm a woman and this is ridiculous. I'm, I am a girl and this is how I'm going to identify from now on. They are willing to put the government behind them and say, we are with you 100 percent because the idea of you not being able to say you're a woman is we just – we understand that that is just so – that is a tantamount to child abuse. You know, no one should talk to you about gender. You're right, and especially your parents, right? Your parents don't have a right to be like, well, I don't know, but maybe you're, you are a boy. You know, go out and play or something. I'm not saying that gender identity isn't nuanced. It, it's a little more nuanced than I initially thought. At first, I was like, this is all just bullshit. But the gender expression, some of these things, it's like, okay, I can mildly get behind some of these ideas. But where I really uh, am kind of principled on, what I'm principled on is, is to say, okay, look, we can have these social ideas and we can, we can put social pressure to a point uh, on, on these things, but don't mandate it behind the law. Don't, don't take people's kids away because they're not completely on board with this left-wing ideology i i think you two are are being extremely charitable to to the left i mean if, if you read the original ideas of the, of the frankfurt school which is the first you know neo-marxist school of thought um mm. these uh, these people said you know allegiance to the state your parents your church your work uh, these are all pathologies mm. uh you know these are all you are mentally ill if you believe in these ideas and that's why we need to take away categories completely 
and progress, so to speak, in a world that is fluid, uh, be, mm. it, be it gender or otherwise. So I don't see why we can't just say about the postmodern left that, for example, if you want equality, say they want <clears throat> excuse me, as many women to be drafted into the uh, military as men, why don't we just say, so, so do you want women to be killed in battle? Is that your goal? Because that's the consequence. And now call me a patriarch, but I don't like women dying in battle. Um, right. So I, I don't know why we're being a bit too, why we're being so charitable to these people who, who, who would incarcerate us just for having this conversation. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I agree. I think that when it comes to these issues, or, or at least the issue of gender, you know, I may, I, I still kind of have this politically correct. I still have these politically correct bones in me, I suppose. Which is, you know, I, I, I kind of don't. I, I guess I don't want to offend still. And but John, sorry, um, sorry to interrupt you, and sorry to our listeners who who don't like us interrupting. But nevertheless, but John, right. here's the thing about gender. We don't give a shit what you are. <laughs> We literally do not give a flying fuck if you're a woman, binary, trans, gender fluid, a fucking unicorn. We don't give a shit. Just tell us you're a unicorn and we're like, cool. But don't force us to mm. accept you as such. It's very Absolutely. It's a very simple principle. Very simple. And I get behind that 1,000%. I think that, yes, it's absolutely true. And yeah, that that's my entire point, which is that, okay, you know, if – if your kid really, really is going through some, that is a, in my view, that's a very bad thing. You, you want your kid to be okay with their gender. And if they're not, something's wrong. Something is, something's certainly not okay. Mm. You want your kid to be able to be like, yeah, I'm just a regular boy. But if he's a boy and he really does feel like a girl, that is, oh man, I, I, I wouldn't know. I would be worried about that. Well, but, well, the, the part of the issue is that when you know they, there is something called gender dysphoria, it's it's a right. recognised medical concern. The issue mm. is now that science is becoming politicised, uh, and uh, it's a lie to say it's becoming politicised. Science has become politicised over the last couple of decades, but this mm. issue is becoming politicised to the point that um, you you're going to find it being removed as as a medical diagnosis. Um, so, so that we can't say anymore that there might be, you might be perfectly fine and this might be a reasonable way for you to approach your life. And there may be a group of people who approach their life in this way who are not reasonable in the way they do it, or it is causing them severe, um, mental harm, um, in their personal lives. I mean, that, that's part of the, one of the definitions around, um, psychiatric illness is that it, it doesn't allow you to live a, inverted commas, normal life. Um, and it's, it's certainly true that in some of these sort of gender cases that, that exists, there are people who really struggle so much that they won't leave the house, for example, or, or, right. or can't function in a real society, won't get a job because of the persecution they feel that they face, even if they face no persecution. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree completely. And, um, you know the the um the the suicide rates for people who do, who do struggle with their gender identity is very high which also 
emphasizes the idea that these people are troubled, or at least so many of them are have have you know mental conditions. And I think that by by saying okay, we should reshape our societies to conform to these people's identities. It, that's where things get really creepy, and it's like, well, hold on a second. Like, it doesn't have to be legal or illegal. Get the get the law books out of here. I mean, we, we we can handle these things ourselves. It's my kid. If my kid's struggling with this, with his gender identity, and and you're right, it, it, they do call it gender dysphoria, and I think that is a very useful term because it's not normal. It's not normal to be a woman but think that you are a man that now that isn't i suppose is upsetting to the the lepo why am i dude i make like really offensive stuff so i don't know why when i personally talk all of a sudden i kind of you know try to mind my p's and q's but but yeah i i the, I agree. I see it as an issue. I mean, I, I think I disagree with you about the, the normality, so to speak, of, of mm. gender. I, I'm, I, I don't know much about gender itself, but I'm quite willing to accept that there is a scale, uh, is sort of fluid, and people are allowed and can be fluid in their gender. I mean, back to my original point, in the end, we don't really care. Just don't use the government. Right. Just don't use the government to enforce your your views upon us, um, and don't jail us for not using the correct word to describe you. I mean, in the end, that's as liberals, that's what we should be fighting for, surely. Right, and and, and I agree with that. The only thing that I would have against that is to say that, as a societal issue, what would be the consequence if? This really started to catch on and become trendy, which it already has in university campuses, which is to say that people who, people who do not have gender dysphoria are pretending they do because it's the kind of the cool thing on campus. And all that, all that I would introduce into the conversation is to say, what are the societal implications of having thousands, even hundreds of thousands of males and females who begin to identify and correlate with different genders – is this bad for the society? Will this lead to kind of uh, a destruction of traditional values which, which help to maintain a more civil society? So I think that's the question. John, you, you know what you are doing? You are using the, the, the arguments for the drug war. If we legalize weed, everyone and their kid will smoke weed or die of mm. heroin overdose or whatever the case might be. Most people don't give a shit about gender. You know, we need to understand that. And if you allow people to be free to choose whatever the, whatever gender they want, most people are worried about you know their day to day. They go to a job. They got family to look after. They want to go watch a movie. Most, I think, most people aren't too worried about how they identify because the world is constructed in a way that gives you meaning in whatever way that is. And if your meaning is defined by uh, your, your um, as a male, you were born a male, you played football, you studied law, you drive uh, sports cars and you like hunting, I don't think that guy's going to turn around the next day, say I'm a woman and then start, <laughs> start screeching at the top of his voice. You know what I mean? Most people don't care about their own gender. 
So I don't think mm. – so I think your argument will fall flat mm. on that regard. Well, I hope you're right. Well, I, I'm, I'm going uh, to be uh, more on your side on this, John. I, I, just on that, I think we need to be careful because for me, I do believe that there are fixed genders. Uh, I think we have male and female. I think that comes from a scientific background. Transphobic bigots. Yeah, there, there I am. Yeah, you've, there, how dare there, you? There, there I am. Um, you can be whatever you want in the middle. It's kind of <laughs> like a fancy dress party, right? You can dress up as a clown. You're still human. You can dress up as a bear. You're still human. Um, the reality is, is that is that you can you can d- present yourself, and I believe you should be able to present yourself to the world however you want. But there are fixed uh, realities and truths. Uh, we'll get to this a little bit later. I want to discuss the the, the Harris um, Peterson podcast with you, but. Um, I do think there are some fixed truths and those things matter. And in terms of the word normal, everyone seems to get triggered by the word normal. Um, And once again, it's it's easily done in terms of a data set. Um, If you look at the mean or the the mode within any group, you will find that whatever those two are will probably give you a good idea of what's normal. So if you go to a tribe of cannibals in um, New Guinea – uh, then the mean and the mode of people in that group will all eat other humans. Um, and so it is normal in that group to eat humans. Um, and also Reza Aslan, he likes eating humans. Um, right. but, but, um, it, it, it so, so it, there is, there is in, in, in reality a normal. You can hate that as much as you like, but I worry that if we say there's no such thing as normal, um, there's no such thing as gender and you can be whatever you kind of want. We start going into that postmodern um, world where nothing means anything and nothing matters. Um, and, mm. then, and then we down the rabbit hole of, okay, well, what you say you are is not really what you are. And then words don't really mean what they mean. And then suddenly violence doesn't mean violence. And, and you know, we go down this whole road where we suddenly are very much uh, end up as a social justice warrior. Um, so I, I, I'd be quite defensive of, of, of that position of normal. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I agree with both of you in, 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 in different areas. I think that I, I totally see the correlation between what I said and the kind of the drug war, which obviously uh, we, we both see as a complete failure uh, on freedom and just personal choice. And that the argument that if we do legalize all drugs, you know, the world will go to hell and all this stuff. But I, I do see, however, a little bit of a difference when it comes to gender. Now, does this mean that I'm going to make it my, my calling in life to, you know, make gender, make sure that boys are boys and girls are, well, plenty of other people are doing that and they can make that their thing. But I think that when I talk about it, I think that in some circumstances, it is okay to say that, well, maybe we should stick up for more traditional values in certain areas, and I would say that gender should be one of them because if I were to answer my own question about whether or not there are societal implications and what those implications would be for a society, even if I really don't care and I'm, I really am kind of like anybody can be themselves and, and – and if I did have a friend who identified as a girl I, and they wanted me to call them she, I would. But I still think that, that the question is important about what would that society look like? Because at universities, again, it's not the majority, but there are these little pockets of, of groups. We know this. These are the, 
the aptly named social justice warriors on campus that, man, it has just become a, a, a trendy, bizarre little world they are in where there are no real set definitions. There are no societal rules to really follow. Uh, traditionalism is tossed out the window. And it's this kind of postmodernism, you are what you feel no matter what. Again, I, I totally understand you know, your libertarian roots on this. But I would just kind of uh, – I, I really think that it's okay to stand up for traditional values under the banner that if we don't, if we don't support these things, if we don't support these traditional values, some traditional values – our society will become so fluid. Now, this could be the slippery slope fallacy, but I, I really do see it as a trend that's growing and that one that is a little worrisome in, in, in university campuses. So, John, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to do a, a, a very terrible thing. I'm going to disagree with you in principle and carry on with this conversation. I hope you don't mind. Um, that's totally fine. It's disgusting. Me. Sam Harris would be. He's a, he's currently vomiting <laughs> yeah. into his bin. Right. He's just he Dan has would... he has he he's now having an anaphylactic reaction as we speak. I mean, the only reason I'm carrying on is because I can't physically reach through the computer to punch this Nazi in the face. <laughs> Damn sure. I just want to ask him before you move on because I don't know what you're going to. But um, you mentioned the patriarchy. Can do you do you think that maybe um, uh, some patriarchal as they would be seen, patriarchal concepts, like Ramon mentioned the war stuff. You know, We want our soldiers to be men. Uh, if a ship is sinking, we'd like to save the women and children, uh, that type of stuff. Don't you think some of that stuff is actually good? Yes, I do. Yeah, I, I totally do. I never would have said this a, uh, a year or two ago because I really thought the whole you know, patriarchy thing – maybe not a year or two ago. Maybe five years ago I would have said that uh, the, the patriarchy was total – it's all bad and we need to stop doing this. But no, dude, I mean, a man, certain, most men, you know, do, are stronger than women. And we can say that. Uh, that yeah, it's a biological fact. fact. It's a biological fact. And I think that there's a reason why our societies are structured the way they are, or at least in many, in many respects, there's a reason why our societies are structured the way they are and why men do what they do. Like we don't have feminists lining up at sewage factories saying that they're it's, this is not equal. We want the sewage factory jobs. This is ridiculous. <laughs> we don't see that. Do they? No, they go to the STEM fields and the, the, the office jobs and say, this is ridiculous. We need more representation here. Well, it's, be, you know, so yes, I, I do see these, uh, kind of established gender norms that we already have as being a good thing as, as in in many ways now is are there superhero movies that we could fix and are there you know magazines that only show beautiful women uh and you know we need to be mindful of that yes obviously but do we fly off the edge and say that super super fat people are beautiful and that they are models that we should look up to hell no you know so there's a there's a there, there's a happy medium i think we well, find i mean unless people want to look at fat people and say they're beautiful of course i mean as for right. the, as for the patriarchy i know for myself i only want my strippers to be women <laughs> right 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 so that's an important and, and i only want my deep sea divers you know looking for oil to be men why? Hell yes. <laughs> well, uh, if they, if women are really into that, that's great. But I'm not unhappy if that job is occupied 100 percent by men. 
that, that could be uh, right. That could be if, if if a woman really wants to do it, she can go for it. But I, I'm not unhappy that it's 100 percent men, pretty much, right. it's an occupation. Okay, I agree gratify. completely. Yeah. So, um, John, two more. Well, two more things from me personally. So, the Sam Harris and Jordan Peterson podcast. You made probably the best video on on that podcast by far. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um, and then I want to talk to you about what is the perception of South Africa, especially South African whites in the U.S. I think most people can't place South Africa on a map and, two don't know there are whites within, within it. Uh, but uh, the alt-right has, has picked up on this white genocide theme quite a bit, and I want to know what your thoughts are. Um, but as for Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris, um, you, you, you put up a, a comment in one of the... Uh, on the YouTube on the YouTube videos, you put that comment on your video, and it said, "This conversation was like a robot talking to a poet about the nature of reality." Mm. The robot being Sam Harris, the poet being Jordan Peterson, and I thought that was by far the best description of that podcast. Um, so, what are your views on on Harris and Peterson, and your views, your condensed views on on that conversation? I love both of them. I love Sam Harris, and I really love Jordan Peterson, and they are both deeply influential to me as a person. They've, they've really influenced my ideas tremendously on, on so many fronts. Now, with Sam Harris, uh, I, with that particular conversation, let's say the first podcast that they had on Truth, where they went back and forth and just basically intellectually masturbated on, on, onto each other for like two hours, that was very intense – and I think that Jordan Peterson definitely present. He, he really kind of presented something that I had never thought of, which is a different version of truth. And it was very interesting to me. But I also completely concede where Sam Harris is coming from, which is like, no, 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 no. Truth is just something that is just true, dude. You, you can't you can't uh, put a sticker of morality or, or ethics onto truth and then it becomes a mm. higher truth you know something's either true or it's not yeah well the you know sam comes from a perspective of things are true with or without our existence um and yeah. peterson comes from the perspective of um truth only matters because of our existence yes yes yeah 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 so hearing that conversation was man it was just going back and forth like crazy uh but Again, I, I really do find myself stuck in the middle philosophically between the Jordan Petersons and the Sam Harrises of the world, meaning that if, I, if I'm purely – I've lived through a worldview that is 100 percent just like Sam Harris, which is to say to, to live my life as if free will is an illusion and to live my life – completely empirically and, and rationally uh, without any semblance of of well for me it was without any semblance of meaning if I live because I've, I've read all of Sam Harris's books and I was completely obsessed with him and my worldview was his for a very long time but it became nihilistic because like there were just wasn't any there wasn't any meaning to anything but what I tried to do was say that because there is no meaning to life, Therefore, it just becomes this kind of video game, and within this video game, you know, we I, I can just kind of become an observer of it, and that's all well and cool. 
but it really didn't provide me with any with any any semblance of of progressing towards something mm. and that's where when peterson came in he had more of a psychological approach a, a more of okay yes we know all these objective truths and he acknowledges every one of them and he acknowledges all the objective facts but he says also though we have this really unique experience and we can and we can envelop that experience itself and there are certain truths within experience that really work for us that we can take a look at and one of those is meaning and meaning is 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 just of profound importance to existence and the more i started looking into peterson stuff i really appreciate what he's doing in regards to living a meaningful life really you know cleaning up your room uh getting yourself straight and straightening yourself out and it, it's um so I, I really appreciate both of their perspectives, um, but I, I would say that I'm still always in kind of an agnostic limbo when it comes to both of their their theories. For me, uh, spirituality is very important, so that's why I really listen closely to t basically two of the smartest – some of the smartest people on the topic of spirituality. I, I, I listen to both of them. I, I don't know. It's hard because they – Yeah. Sorry, John. Sorry to interrupt. I don't know if this I'm happened fine. to you. I mean, I used to be, well, certainly during my college years, you know, you know that that rationalist atheist that like laughs mm. at at people who have faith. Um, right. Not 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 out loud. I was well behaved, uh, but inside, I'm, I'm, <laughs> you talk to someone who is a Muslim or a Jew or a a Christian, and then you're like, why are you like so dumb to believe like stupid <laughs> right. stupid ideas, right? Um, and I was like that for quite a while. Um, and then Jordan Beeson comes on and he says, I'm deeply religious. And then my intuition says, oh, God, this, this guy's dumb. Right. And then he's got three hours on Joe Rogan to, to say why he's religious and a scientist at the same time. And uh, that was a red pull moment. Um, and I, I reconnected with uh, on the show. We had a priest uh, that I knew from from when I was at school. And I reconnected with other people who are quite religious as well. And the, the amount of value I've had from those conversations and friendships recently far outweighs whatever I've felt beforehand. Beforehand seemed to mm. be a bit empty, a bit nihilistic. And John Peterson said nihilism is, is, uh, and is the, what you call it, is, is the very worst thing you can be as a human because life with no meaning mm. is no life at all. So what do you how have you changed since listening to, to Peterson particularly? Well, Peterson, it's, it's, it's kind of sent me into, again, like a spiritual limbo because it's, it's deeply confusing. Because at, at one end of the spectrum, which is uh, – Sam Harris wrote a book called Waking Up, and I read that book. I read that book in three sittings. Now, that's not to say that like, like I'm a good reader. I'm not a very good reader. I I read slow, and I take a long time to read a book. The reason why I bring that up is to say that that's how important and, and profound that book was to me because it talked about consciousness. It talked about the intrinsic selflessness of consciousness. It was very Buddhist, and it just resonated with me so deeply. And I remember after reading that book, it really did change my life. I went on to a retreat 
and a 10-day silent Vipassana retreat, and I, I started meditating a lot more. I had some really, really fascinating uh, conscious experiences, all while just being completely sober. And I was beginning to to find a space of of existence that didn't really need meaning per se. It was just about planting myself more into the present moment, and that within the present moment, kind of our our thoughts, our sensations, our, our pains, our suffering can kind of dip away, uh, if only for a moment. But this didn't take into account this that the self is still there, even though the self is technically an illusion. There is still this feeling of me being me, and what is there in this world to facilitate that self, to, to give meaning to that? And that's where Peterson came in. And when I first heard that he was religious, I also completely I, – I, I couldn't believe it. I was in kind of I, – I thought – and I actually got a, a comment from somebody, and they said, yeah, it, it was on that Jordan Peterson video that I made. And they said, yeah, you know, I, I love Peterson too, but damn, you know, he's religious. And I thought, what? Really? So, so I immediately started looking on YouTube for it. I was like, what? There's no way this guy's religious. There's no way. And I saw the Joe Rogan interview too, and my jaw like dropped to the floor. I was like, whoa, 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 this is resonating with me. And I know that thousands upon thousands of people, obviously hundreds of thousands of people, have had this same experience with Peterson. This dude is a genius. I mean he really does have a way of, of talking about these ideas in a way that I'd never have heard before. Um, so, so yeah, there, there is definitely mm. – he he caters to the subjective experience. He really thinks that's important, and he says, "Hey, we have these ideas that really help with 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 our experience. We have these these ideas about communication, about love, about friendship, about you know these these religious you know quote religious human values, and they're very important. Try them out. See what happens. Like if if you try them out, mm. you know you you might find they're useful. Well." You know, with regards to to Peterson, just two things on the religion thing, which I think are interesting in the way he's handled it, and I I don't assume he hasn't given this a fair amount of thought. Um, the one is that he 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 has never he's a Christian, but he's never defended the the sort of um, texts so to speak, of Christianity. I, I haven't heard that. Mm. I, I, admittedly, I haven't listened to his latest series, um, which he's busy with, on, on religion. Um, he very much compares religion uh, to mythology and that he sees every religion as some sort of mythology not uh, dissimilar to Greek mythology, which he references quite a bit, amongst others, um, which is essentially a pre-religion of religion. Um, and so I think... What people are engaging with, and if you're not just completely close to the idea, is they're not necessarily engaging with a talking snake who offers a fruit to Eve right. in the Garden of Eden because I can't see him defending that. I have, I have to be honest. The way I would see him defending that is very much as it's a metaphor for something. And, um, there's there's a similar metaphor in this mythology here and in this superhero movie there, um, and so he does that. So the, the 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 what he's what he's doing is he's disempowering the way um, 
Sam Harris, Richard Dawkins, etc., have have themselves disempowered religion over several decades, which is to mm. say that what they did is they said, well, you believe in a talking snake. You're an idiot. Um, and that still stands. Uh, what he's done is he's gone, well, it's not really about a talking snake. It's about what a talking snake might symbolize. Um, mm. And he's spoken a lot about that. So it's, it's interesting to me because um, he's yet to really defend religion in, 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 a, in a traditional sense. He's, he's, I've never heard a traditional defense of religion. And I think that's giving people a lot of uh, a lease on their belief and their faith in that they can be rational uh, and reasonable people in the, in the 21st century who are very much believing in science and want evidence and proof. Um, but for their spirituality, they don't need a basis of proof. Um, the story doesn't need to be real. It just has to have meaning. So I, I see that as, as one of the things that he's done. And the, um, the second thing is, is that he's, he, he, he doesn't push it. He pushes the, the whole concept, as you've mentioned, of purpose. Um, and that, mm. and that you're, you know, whatever you do with your life, do something so that it means something. And, and, and if you need religion, for example, as something to to propel you forward, then then so be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I agree. He, he he talks about the structure of stories, and like whenever he talks about religion, that's usually what he's talking about. He's talking about these. He's talking about archetypal structures. He's talking mm-hmm. about he's talking about the narrative structure of stories, and this is more interesting. He's not saying. You know, he's not these li- this literal interpretation, but he's also different than the other religious people that we often hear of who talk about God a lot. He doesn't really say the word God that often, and when he does, he's very careful. He's very careful. Um, he he doesn't uh, talk about it as as the man in the sky. Certainly, he talks about it as like just this kind of. Uh, Actually, I think he defined God as that which we do not know yet, and once we do know, it's not God anymore, or something like that, which is for, – for, for a while, I thought he was using the God of the gaps argument, but he's actually not. <clears throat> he's talking about just like ignorant – I can't – I cannot explain it. I will butcher it, but he, he really sees validity in – in narrative structures, in the way people move toward, uh, you know, uh, adversity, adversity, and coming out the other side, what what happens to, to our consciousness after we do something that is what was incredibly difficult? And he talks about Harry Potter and all these Disney movies and stuff like that. Um, he always talks about Pinocchio, and he also includes religion in this category. So when Sam Harris comes in and he says, well, hold on a second because that's not true. I mean, And Sam says because we can get these, these truths, these quote truths of human experience in the cat in the hat or in Pinocchio or in these things, why do we need religion, which people have taken to, to, to mean unequivocal truth? So they, they, they both have points, but <clears throat> at, the end of the, at the end of the day, again, I'm – I'm agnostic to the whole thing. So all of that, and then you still have no idea. Thanks. Thanks, John. We appreciate <laughs> right, it. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but but uh, the, the, the consequence of both of them 
existing and, and having a debate is, as you said in your video, more people are now questioning what truth is and how to pursue yeah. it. And I think that the even if it's an unintended consequence, it's a very, very good one. Mm, yeah. Right. Yeah, I agree. Now we get on to the white genocide argument. Oh, my goodness. Yes. This is um, – so you had a chap called Simon Roach. First of all, can you give us a bit of background about how that happened? Yeah. Uh, well, first of all, I have a buddy named Will who's uh, in the alt-right, and we debate all the time um, about that particular movement. But, um, he hasn't he murdered you had in a gas chamber yet. Not yet. Yeah. Oh, not, not shocking. Yet. But um, – right. He had – he has a friend who is close with Simon Roach, and they were both kind of – uh, going around, uh, I think I think they're still touring, essentially America, going around and getting Simon Roach all these all these interviews, and it kind of fell into my lap. He 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 said, "Hey man, I know one of my friends uh, has Simon Roach. You can look him up, and you can do an interview of him on the um, on the white genocide that's going on right now." And I thought. Okay, I hadn't. I mean, I've heard you know rumors of this. I've heard kind of a, a blank mirage of this on the internet. Never seen anything particularly uh, gripping on the topic, but I thought, you know what, I'll do this interview. But the more the more close the interview got, the more nervous I got. Actually, at like, well, hold on a second, because I don't know anything about this and but then i thought okay well if i don't know anything about this i'll just ask this guy and see what's going on because the response from my channel has been unequivocally yes there is a white genocide going on right now and <clears throat> i mean the when i did do the interview uh he seemed relatively genuine and he really was talking about you know these these terrible events that were going on however uh, I, I, I mean, when it comes to this issue, I, I simply don't know. I, I don't know because I don't live over there, and I just have no idea. Which is why I left a comment that I pinned to the top of the video, which said, "Guys, y'all can take this however you want. Uh, I really don't know what's going on here. This is one perspective. To take it however you will." And most of the comments were like, "Cool, thanks," but some were like, "Are you, are you fucking kidding me?" You, you're a cuck. You don't know about this stuff. Like, it's it's absolutely insane over there. They're slaughtering white people. And I thought, well, let's try and find. You find you found I, two that haven't been slaughtered. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, to be fair, there's only three of us left in this whole country. Um, we, we're leaving well, okay, after so, this conversation ends. Right now, you must know that this group of mine on the internet. They would absolutely despise what you just said, like because they really they don't live where you live, but they they seem to know more apparently mm. through well, yeah just well, well they would despise uh, me saying that as much as Black Lives Matter would despise me saying that I don't believe black people are targets any more than white people of the police right 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 and, right. and, and yeah, I, exactly. I believe both they're very intense. <laughs> Yes, they trust me. That's why I made that ethno-nationalism video because I, I do have a lot of these people who believe in the white genocide, and they they believe it to their core. So, what is if, if I could just ask 
pose a question to either of you, which well, is to say, this is your turn. Could yes. y'all enlighten me on this issue? <clears throat> right. So, here's the, the here, here are the facts about South Africa. <clears throat> Excuse me. The white population in this country has some of the highest living standards in the world. That being said, the everything that we do, for, imagine a state that does not actually give you much in return for your taxes. So we are taxed at, uh, if you earn well, you're taxed at 40% and uh, with, with VAT and levies and all that, it goes up to 50, 55%. In return, that gets spent on overwhelmingly black people who are in the underclass and we don't we can go down that rabbit hole but it's not really necessary for this and you have a a government in charge who were who were very fluid in ideology they were classically liberal uh, it's an overwhelmingly black government of course uh, mm. post 94 mandela's government uh, a party sorry called the anc they were very fluid they were classically liberal then they <clears throat> partnered up with the Communist Party in the 40s, 1940s, I believe. I think it was the 60s, but yeah. In the 60s. And, uh, and then it became a lot more racialized, i.e. the white oppressor must get out of this country. But then again, it, is, it can be excused because we had a white nationalist government at the time who, who really subjugated the black population of South Africa. Uh, they weren't allowed to earn land. They weren't allowed to vote. And this carried on for, for 40 years. Mandela came, Rainbow Nation, we all get along, etc. That happened till 2007. Growth rates were at 5%. And since 2009, we've had this president. Uh, he's called Jacob Zuma. So this president, he is probably the best president we've had because he is, he has no ideology whatsoever, but he's greedy as fuck. So he has stolen billions and billions of rands, uh, which is our money, rands, um, over the course of the past, well, since 2009, along with his buddies, along with um, cronies. So it has really been a, a great you know, theft of resources from the South African people, so to speak. And that has created a lot of resentment uh, for, for everyone in the country um, and – Last year, there was a municipal election, a local election, and and the ANC, which is the government in power, had a – their platform was a racialized platform. So they mm. said, white people don't want to give up their land, so we will take it from them. Uh, there's a term that came out called white monopoly capital, uh, which is undefined at this stage, but it's – you know, rich white people control everything in this country, so we must, um, you know, redistribute what they have. Uh, yes. And so they ran on this platform, and they lost heavily in the elections. They, mm. lost, they lost four key cities in the country, <clears throat> and uh, they, were, they are reeling from it. Now, so, so personally, I live well, uh, my co-host too, and we, we're fairly happy here. Yeah. To a large extent, a lot of my friends are fairly happy here. There's always an uncertainty in the air if we will become Zimbabwe, uh, if the government will actually come and take land and, and things like that by force. But that hasn't happened yet, purely because they're so fucking incompetent. Mm. However, white farmers are in a different category altogether. If you look at the murder rate of white 
well not of white, of farmers in general, it is much higher than policemen, in fact. And what we can't seem really? to... Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At two, three times more than policemen. If my facts are correct, I could be under correction. No, you're about right. And, um, and what we can't understand is the brutality involved in those crimes, in those murders. You have a torture going on for hours, um, people having drills stuck in them for hours at a time, being burnt alive, being raped numerous times, um, children. Post, post-mortem sort of, um, uh, I don't know what, I lose the word right now, but they'll kill someone and then spend two hours, um, you know, dismembering the body for no reason, you know. Um, and, and so they're, they're, it's, it's excessively, the farm, farm murders seem to be excessively violent and very often, um, you know, something might be stolen, for example, but it'll be like a television is stolen. Um, or, mm. or it's not, it's not, uh, it's not a high, there's not high value item, so to speak. Um, so the, the, the level of, of sort of violence and almost, you can kind of feel the hatred is, is very high. So that's, mm. that's where the white genocide narrative started. So there's, there's, um, a guy we had on the podcast, uh, a singer, Afrikaans, Afrikaans singer. So Afrikaans is, is a, uh, an ethnic group, a white ethnic group in South Africa. I think Simon is part of them, um, Simon Rich. And they, they've been here for 300 years. They're the only, they are called the white tribe of Africa because they actually do belong here. They've got no roots anywhere else in the world. And, um, Steve Hoffmeyer is a, is a well-known Afrikaans singer in the country. And he, he uses the term white genocide, not only for the violent acts against farmers or white people, but against the fact that the government actually, to, according to him, wants to take away the Afrikaans language from, say, the public sphere, from universities and things like that. And um, this is also affirmative action where white people, you know, are, are not are not appointed to positions in government or in the private sector due to these affirmative action protocols. So, I mean, it's a complicated question, to be frank. And the government does use race and racial classification when it feels like it. But to say that there's a white genocide is wrong because mm. the overwhelming majority of of criminals and victims are black because there's 45 million black people in the country and 5 million white people in the country. Well, then well then if we were to toss the word genocide out and maybe replace it with is there kind of a white misunderstanding going on right now? Is there because it seems like right now you said the people in power are only black? Um, well, yeah, ninety-five percent of them, yes. Yeah. But but look, okay. it, it, it's it's relatively demographic reflective. So you, you're the same as how people will moan about you know white males run the United States. Right. No, um, it right. kind of makes sense that a majority of people in government are white males because that's your majority, right? Right, right, right. So we yeah, have a yeah, we have that, a similar we have a similar demographic um, in terms of in terms of representation. Okay, and and so. And, and you're saying that there still are hate crimes, racial hate crimes. Are you saying that there are still some racial hate crimes to farmers? So, so the biggest issue is we have no evidence 
that they're necessarily racial or racially motivated crimes. So what you have is you have a white farmer. Um, so the, a lot of the farming areas, a lot, a lot of our farmers are white. Um, that's a historical uh, sort of uh, legacy. And um, what will happen is uh, they'll live on their farm in their, in their nice sort of, well, nice, relatively pleasant farmhouse. And nearby, the workers, who are majoritarily black, um, will live in informal settlements very often, which are basically um, shack dwellings. Um, and so you've got this this, wow. this economic inequality, right? So um, the, you could argue just as much for uh, crime uh, based on uh, uh, poverty you know, the guy who lives in in a small little shack is going to the guy who lives in a house to steal his TV to sell it for a couple of hundred dollars. Um, that 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 sticks just as much. The 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 where it becomes complex is um, well, why would you torture an eighty year old grandmother um, before killing her? Um, that doesn't really make sense just based on poverty, for example. Um, and and mm. that's where the the sort of genocide arguments coming from. But once again. I, I, genocide is a word that goes too far, in my opinion. Right. What would be a more appropriate word then? Because it sounds like there still is 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 there no validity at all to what someone like Simon Roach is saying, or is there is there a uh, not just a kernel, but quite a bit of truth to what he's saying? But he's blowing it up out of proportion, so, so or is he sorry? Go ahead. No, 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 yeah. Yeah. So, well, John, here's here's the problem in 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 Africa generally and the world generally about a hundred years ago. As a minority in in an African country, there is always a possibility of extermination or or ethnic cleansing or, or things like that. That is mm. always a possibility because the the state institutions are weak. Across the whole continent, except in South Africa, they are quite strong, but they are being weakened as we speak. Um, so the police force, for example, is utterly useless. We all have uh, security at our house, you know, private security everywhere. Wow. So what Simon is saying, it's a pre- he, so they hoard food and train and become skilled in various things to survive off the land should there be some apocalyptic uh, event where um, I, I assume the country collapses. Yeah, where, where black people come after them for resources, right? Mm. Can that happen in South Africa? I'm, I'm willing to say no because we actually have a very, very strong sense of what people think because we, we, we interviewed a guy who works for a think tank and they do wide-ranging surveys across the country. And if you look at what the average South African wants, black or white, or Indian, or we have a, another South African group called the Coloreds, which is a mixture of black and white together. Yeah, Trevor Noah is actually a colored. Yeah. Not Trevor, a black. Yeah. <laughs> so much as he loves to push it on the Daily Show. Right. So, <laughs> right. and if you look at all these wide scale surveys that you know involve thousands and thousands of people, <laughs> the most important thing for the average South African is finding a job, um, educating their, their children or themselves um, crime is a massive problem about how many people like 2.5% said racism is the biggest problem they face in their lives in South Africa so there's a lot of noise on the internet but if you 
drill down and speak to actual people in the country, it's just not there. There's no, there's right. very little antagonism. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that. Um, I mean, because again, I all that I know is so far from what I'm being told, and I think that one thing that the the is, is it Sudlanders? Is that how I pronounce it? Sate, Satelanders. Satelanders. Okay, they keep playing this clip over and over again of 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 this black guy who is obviously in power. He's he looks like he looks like he's in, in ah, some Ju- government. Julius Malema. Is that what it? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm not says, sure. I'm not sure if it is him. It could be a guy in government. Just tell me what he says. I might recognize the clip. Yeah, he says we have not called for the slaughter of all white people yet. Yeah, and I think people start laughing that, or something like so, he was talking. So that's that's so. So let me let me put you in the picture. That that gentleman is a guy by the name of Julius Malema. Um, Julius uh, was a so the ANC, which is the ruling party, um, has a youth league. Um, which is essentially their sort of student wing, um, and they have a history of grooming up their student leaders to become their future leaders. Uh, Julius at one point was head of this youth league, uh, and he he basically caused a whole bunch of problems within the, the uh, overall party, and he was expelled from it. After disciplinary process, etc., when they expelled mm. him, um, because he says these he says these kinds of things. He's been doing this for for a decade now. Um, he says crazy shit. The media love him, so they will report. Uh, it's basically like a Trump syndrome. Uh, you know, it's uh, the guy <laughs> cannot. He, the guy literally cannot say kofefe without people going insane. So, um, <laughs> so, and this guy's been saying kofefe for ten years, basically. So. So, 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 so what happens is, 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 is he then gets expelled. He starts a, a new party, which is, he, he's, he's not a stupid guy. Um, from a, he's very street smart. Um, and he looks at it and he goes, well, where's the gap in the South African market? And the gap really was for a very left wing, um, authoritarian type party. And he starts this party called the Economic Freedom Fighters. So the name should tell you everything you need to know. Um, right. they don't believe in, they, they actually have no idea what, what economics is um, because they they very much want to seize the means of power, for example. Their first election they, they were involved in, they said that they wanted to um, take all the mines away and run them the, you know, as, as the government, for one example. And, and mining is South Africa's, I think it's now the second or third biggest industry. It used to be the biggest. So, so um, we've, uh, that's the kind of guy that he is. That said, he says these kinds of things, and they are concerning in that he says them. But he, the last election, his party won six percent of the election, the last national election. Um, so the media loves to play him up. Uh, people who, for whatever agendas, want to show him off, show him off. But at the end of the day, he is a very small player at this point. Um, that said. As Ramon says, is there a risk that someone like that could rise to power, uh, or his ideas at least could come about? It's plausible, um, mm. but I think it's 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 on the very highly unlikely end of the spectrum. Just on that, you asked a question about what would be the right word. I, I don't really know. I, it's not genocide. I think I think that we've got a violence problem in this country, which affects all races. Frankly, um, you know, we have. 
let's take it away from the murder of farmers. We have a rape problem on this in this country. Uh, we have, mm. I think it's uh, the we have, if I'm not mistaken, the the figure is sixty. 60 per 100,000 people raped or something to that effect. Uh, some people will say it's far higher than that. Uh, there's this, you know, as with all of these things, there's statistics all over the place um, and a lot of hyperbole. But the bottom line is it's, it's, it's huge. It's way too high. I mean, the next behind us is Sweden and we, and we double what Sweden is. So, mm. so, and everyone's freaking out about Sweden reasonably so, but just to give you a concept. So we've got a, we've got a big violence problem we've got to deal with. And I think that's a lot where it stems from. And, and a lot of that is about making people prosperous and giving people freedom. Uh, and part of what this podcast is about is about getting people to think about these ideas about making people freer and making them freer is not about having more government, which is how people think freedom comes about in this country. Right. Right. Wow. Yeah, that's definitely a different perspective. Um, it seems like it's more – you're not completely you're, – you're, you're basically – it sounds like they're being hyperbolic, but there's a, a foundation of, of injustice that's, a, that, that's going on over there. But it, 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 it's not so narrowly defined like but, what but as, uh, is that correct? Uh, yeah, to some degree, as with as with all claims, you know, some of the postmodern, some Black Lives Matter, they do have a point of sorts, right? Right. There is there might be a problem and instances. Yeah, and instances mm, yeah. of racism, but to, but but then they take the conclusion that is so far removed from the original problem, and the solution is not a real solution at all to the original problem. That it it, it just becomes silly and hyperbolic. Now, for the Sadelanders, we haven't spoken to Simon ourselves we hope to have him in here one day or another um to me he does use a lot of examples of for example judas malema saying those things as indicative of what everyone is saying or right you know he, julius was talking like to 300 people in a small shitty town somewhere in the country like it it only made news because the cameras were there because they followed Julius everywhere. But people speak like that all over the time. And a lot of white people say the same thing about, about blacks, right? I mean, the amount of times we see on Twitter, like, how blacks must just, you know, we need a genocide because blacks have less IQ or something to that effect. I mean, that's, right. that's a common tweet. Well, not, not, that, not that common anymore. But people just don't get on, and it's fine. Um, the only problem is if the state does so. And a very good thing about South Africa, our army and the police force are probably the worst, most pathetic organizations in the world. Dysfunctional, completely dysfunctional. So there's no hope for like a revolution through the army. So you'll need like a really. Man. Oh yeah, absolutely. They are useless, useless at everything. <laughs> and and the funny thing is, the guys who used to be good in the army are all uh, now private mercenaries. Or like our farmers or things like that, and so um, chances are, um, you know, if 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 it were if it were the sort of risen up public versus the the military coup, the risen up public would probably win. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. That, that's the irony. So Julius Malema wow. has got a big mouth, but there's absolutely no bite to it. Unfortunately, a few people do believe him, and when there were farm murders, some uh, suspects did say. I heard Julius say, you know, kill the farmer, so I did. But obviously, mm. we, we cannot say whether that is a direct cause. 
it's it's you know it's, it's a difficult thing mm. you, you, to quantify. You know, the other thing we we have here is that our media leans left. Okay, so uh, just like yours, so they will push certain things for agendas. So the media loves race baiting. You know, this is no different to CNN, for example. Uh, you know, you know, what's it? Uh, hands up, don't shoot. Um, <laughs> the, the, our media pushes that narrative quite heavily, uh, and so. Uh, the, the, there's often a um, bigger push or a bigger sense that the problem is 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 larger than it really is, and if you speak to average people, um, those things, as Ramon referred to with the statistics, those things aren't aren't reflected. Mm. Yeah, and I think have you heard all of the rhetoric given by many in the alt right that that of their claims? Because I know that my buddy and his friends in the alt right. They say that – well, and, and now he, just hearing this, it's, it's pretty crazy. But he says that white people are in cages. Uh, is that true on, well, in, they, in, in any did, way? I did see one at the BDSM club the other day, but I think he chose to be <laughs> there. <laughs> well, uh, you, you, so this is the, the hyperbole again. So uh, we live um, – what if you came to the country, and, and, and please do if, you, if you're interested in any point, we'll happily have you over – um, but our houses are, for example, very well fortified. I mean, our houses are probably more well fortified than a, a low security prison in the U.S. Um, mm. You know, I, I live in an apartment and there are pretty much bars on every single window, um, like bars that you, you, you couldn't file through. Um, and uh, there's a there's there's uh, often people have security guards, uh, certainly for larger housing estates and things. People have security guards either at the entrance or on the road. There's patrols, there's vehicle security, vehicle patrols, armed patrols that patrol around because we don't have useful police. So in that sense, yes. I mean, if you want to take it to that point, do do we live in cages? Yes, but. If my next door neighbor is a black person, he lives in the exact same cage because right, we're right, both right, right. Yeah, in the middle that's... class and we've both been able to buy a two-bedroom apartment. And uh, our two-bedroom apartment, the only way of protecting our property is by putting up bars because we have a high crime rate. So, um, you know, the, the reality is, is this, the, you know, the Sederlanders may say something like, you know, white people are afraid to go to sleep at night. And I, I, I suppose if you're a white farmer um, somewhere out on a farm in South Africa, that is probably a true statement. You may very mm. well be in fear of your life every night when the sun goes down. Um, but the same statement could be made by a black person living in a township. And so mm. um, I think the argument that there is necessarily a direct attack on whites alone is where the problem comes in. Mm. Yeah, and then that sounds like a very important distinction too. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of. I mean, this certainly gave me more of a perspective on what is going on there because I have to be honest. When I heard, when I hear all of the stuff coming out from the, again, I don't know how to say that damn word. The Sudlanders. It's fine. Say it however you want to say it. It's it's, it's Sudlanders. Okay, right. Um, that was I the closest. Saw the, <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 but I, I see. I saw their website, and I, and then I saw a little video they made on YouTube, and then I saw this kind of short documentary on some of them, and it kind of looked like the Doomsdayers on A and E. Or have you ever seen that? Or it, it's on a particular show where they think the end times are coming. Yes, 
and they kind of stock up on yeah, like preppers, on, on rations. Right, do, doomsday preppers, yes. Um, and it kind of looked a little bit fake. Now, I'm not saying that it's fake. I know there really are people who do that. Uh, Simon Roach is one of them. But it, it looked to be like it, they were in a nice part of town. And it, But again, I mean, I... I really don't know all this, yeah, but y'all have given me a lot of perspective yeah. as to like – y'all have been a lot more nuanced, I should say, so I'm just, getting into the details. I'm just going to read out the first paragraph on the on their website. So the Sederlanders are an emergency plan initiative officially founded in 2006 to prepare a Protestant Christian South African minority for a coming violent revolution. The only reason they've got Protestant and Christian in there – is to get other Protestant and Christian people around the world to take notice. Ah. I'm not denying the fact that they are Protestant and Christian, but if it's also another way to say white. Right, right. Right. I, I, don't, I haven't seen a, a black Sederlander ever, I must be honest. So <laughs> right. I, I actually approve of what they do. They are, you know, if they want to live like Native Americans... Please go ahead. Um, and but the rhetoric they use is hyperbolic, and they—I'm sorry to say—they're a bit of a laughing stock. And I'm really, only, and I'm only saying that now because deep down I think there is a kernel of truth in what they are doing. I just hope it doesn't come to that, um, you know, right. violent revolution. But I don't think it will. So it's a bit like, you know, when people had the Mayan prophecy like a few years back. You look at it, you're like, okay, those people are just like fucking crazy. But go ahead. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and then you'll be laughing if the Mayans are, are right. And can I, you mind if I change tech just quickly? We need to, we need to uh, wrap up. But I wanted to yeah. talk about something that's maybe got a kernel of truth but uh, is unlikely to happen. So um, Trump being the end of the world. Um, and, you know, everyone losing their minds about, about this man. And they have been since he beats pretty much the worst Democratic candidate ever to stand for the presidency. Um, right. And that's really impressive since Jimmy Carter won it. Um, it, it's, it, it it's just the freak out, the freak out that constantly happens. We had uh, first he wins, then people lose their minds and try to find a way to get the um, – uh, I'm losing it. The college to vote against him. Right. Um, there was that. Then he has his inauguration. Then we have to lose our minds about whether the crowd size was or wasn't. Um, <laughs> then, then we had the women's march the next day or the, or the same day. We had the um, we had with people wearing vaginas on their heads. Uh, I mean, I, I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure if I'd worn a vagina on my head 15 years ago, people said I would be well, I would have said I was demeaning women. Now it's it's empowerment <laughs> right. for now some you're reason. Them. Um, uh, we've had the science march, which was pretty much anti-science, because you have someone like Michael Shermer who writes, I think it's Skeptic Magazine, um, who's, who's very much you know involved in the science community, and goes, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be excluding people based on like their identities, and and then <laughs> that, that they lose their mind on that. Um, we've had a whole bunch of these things. We've had the Russia conspiracy running through all of this. Um, for which there's still no real evidence that Trump did anything wrong. Um, and from what I understand, tomorrow you're going to have James Comey basically saying that. Um, right, right. So 
just give us a bit of a sense of what America's like with constant Trump derangement syndrome. Well, here's the thing is I just made a video on this growing culture of outrage. Check and, that. I'm sending people to give you hits already. Nice, nice. Um, but it's, it's, a, it's basically everyone is so offended. Now, this is, in my view, this is the obvious fault of the media, which I believe more and more people are going to the psychiatrists and their, their psychologists uh, telling them that Trump gives them anxiety and you know that him being president depresses them and they really do have a, a Trump derangement or Trump, you know, Trump-induced depression of some kind. Well, and sorry, John, just to just interrupt once. Yeah. Barbara Streisand blamed him for her putting on weight, and I think Lena Dunham, <laughs> Lena Dunham, blamed him for her losing weight. So, right, right, right. It's absolutely and, and frankly, hilarious. he did Lena Dunham a favor. Right, dude, she is um, pretty terrible. But um, but yeah, yeah, yeah. People are now now the general day to day is completely normal you know i'll go to the market or something and yeah everyone's fine yeah we all carry on with life but really i think what's going on is it's the internet the internet is this new hybrid of consciousness that kind of influences our decisions and we we have this general feeling of like well something people are outraged right now right people are upset about something right now right because you look to twitter and you know trump is hashed Trump is trending and Trump just said some bullshit uh, and people go nuts. But I think what what people are failing to do is, again, back to what we're talking about with the kind of growing culture in university campuses, which is this idea of personal responsibility and this idea of being more mindful and more aware of our reactions, of what's going on in our minds. We don't realize that when Trump does something, we're not reacting to Trump. We are reacting to our mind's interpretation of CNN or of MSNBC or of Fox News or whatever the news is telling us with the fast music and the big breaking news fonts. And hmm. really all the really it, all that happened is Trump tweeted something. That's it. Now, the content of it we can get into. But honestly, the content of his tweets are really not that hmm. they're not that uh First of all, they're not very informative. They're just basically – I really wish he would stop tweeting so much because it's like, bro, so many of us in America are very immature and they don't have the – it's almost as if they don't have the ability to just pause when agitated and evaluate what's going on and then make a response. It's all outrage. So when he tweets about Kefefe, uh at 2 or 3 in the morning – Dude, the media loses their minds. So, yeah. in in my in my view, it's just it's, it's really fun to watch, to be an outside perspective on all of this. I cannot think of a time where it has been more fun to be in politics, where it has been more interesting to be an American, and to just look at this freak show. Uh, you know, just hmm. keep getting worse and worse, or better well, and better. However, he, you look at he's it, he's the opposite of. You know, you've got people on the one side going, we must ban certain words. Words are bad. And you've got the guy right. on the other side going, I don't give a shit. Words mean 
he has, he has a whole <laughs> bunch of words in a tweet, you know? Um, right. So it's, it's just the one begets the other. Uh, but I agree with you. I think he should tweet less and, and do more. Um, frankly, he's, um, He's the president. He can do whatever the hell he likes. <laughs> I mean, he tweets the other day about the Department of Justice shouldn't have done this. They should have done that. I'm like, dude, you've got Jeff Sessions on speed dial. What are you, what are you, what are you telling everyone on Twitter for? Phone Jeff Sessions and tell him what he must do. He, you're his boss, literally. It's, it's insane. Right. Um, but it, yeah. And. You know, the, 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 uh, all the predictions, you know, he's going to launch a nuke. Uh, he's going to create World War Three. He's, he's going to, uh, completely stuff up foreign relations and actually he had a very successful, um, trip overseas. Um, you know, all the predictions have been wrong. Do you think there's any point we, we get to where people like calm down and they start going, all right, he's going to do some stuff wrong. Um, and because it's Trump, no. he's going to do a fair amount wrong. Uh, but he's also going to do some stuff right. And we're just going to have to give him, like, let him do that. No, no, no <laughs> right, no way. Hope then. No way, no, no, not not the left. They won't do that uh, because that is actually the only people that are saying what you just said are people like me, and we are like the most offensive people uh, in America right now. Yeah, because all we're saying is all we're saying is, hey, everybody, let's chill out and kind of just let him do his thing. I know he's a little, you know, unorthodox and weird, and he's not the sharpest tool in the shed, but. Just let them get in there and just, you know, do something. But no, that view right there is totally extremist to these people. They, they, they want everyone to agree that this is the end of the world, that he's going to nuke the Middle East, that he's just going to destroy society. Um, so even when he, uh, you know, signs a bill for the STEM field to make women, uh, he, he recently signed a bill that basically encourages women, encourages STEM field to uh, fill out diversity reports and stuff like that. And not a peep from the left. Not a peep. This is exactly what they want. He gave it to them. But, you know, you don't hear anything about it. So even when he does something that they want, it doesn't work. All I heard was Donald Trump was cucked. (laughs) Right. That's all I heard. Right, right, right. Hopefully the alt-right hates him too now. That would be great. Imagine like everyone hates him. Everyone should hate well, the president. The, that makes a right, good democracy. Right. The alt-right in many ways does not like him because he uh, – well, I think they're, they're coming back on board. But whenever he bombed Syria, they, they ducked out real quick and they were – Yeah, because they're isolationist. Uh, they're isolationist, yeah. They, and they think that the Jews uh, – the, they think that if we go to war, it's because of Jews. I mean, don't tell anyone, but it actually is. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the, the, the Jews control everything. I just sent basically. something off my phone. You'll see something happen later. Just a warning. <laughs> <laughs> where are you, Texas, against, John? Uh, just just go to where's, – where's next door to Texas? Florida. Yeah, go to, the, go to New Mexico. Yeah. Just, man. just in case. <laughs> right. Okay, now we're ready – at the bottom of the barrel, so I think it's time to end it. Yeah, before we make any dodgy, more dodgy jokes. Right, 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 right. When it gets to the Jews, you got to stop. Well, Jonathan's a Jew. We can go right down there, but, you know, it's fine. We're probably losing listeners right, as right, we speak. Right. <laughs> I know, John, they're like, dude, what, what? Yeah, yeah, what, what did you just say? Uh, John, thank you very much for joining us. I really appreciate it. I know Ramon got in contact, and, uh, and uh, really great of you to, to agree to come on. 
Yeah, yeah. Thank you guys very much. This was uh, this was very good. I would love to do it again. Awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And keep making those videos, man. I mean, you are. I mean, I don't. I don't often chill, but uh, your 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 creativity is really something to behold. And um, what you talk about has a lot of meaning. And just carry on doing it. I do hope our listeners um, subscribe and and watch because I also learned quite a bit from you. Mm. Thank you. Thank you very much. Awesome. We'll uh, we'll chat to you next time. All right. Thanks, thanks, John. Cheers. So, uh, Ramon, uh, we um, we've, we've spoken for quite a bit. So, those of you who are on Team Longer, hashtag Team Longer, you just got a longer one. Okay, wait, let's just keep context. Yes. So, I asked our Facebook group, "What do we? What? What? How can we improve this podcast?" <laughs> and after about 105 comments, this the 10 points, well, a few points came out. The podcast must be longer. Team Longer. The podcast must be shorter. Team shorter. <laughs> um, the podcast must be. Uh, we must interrupt our guests less. We must not let our guests talk so much shit for an extended period of time. Uh, the podcast must be released in the morning. The podcast must be released in the afternoon. What are the other ones? I can't remember. Uh, like, I don't know. You, you're all very confused, but it, but it's fine. Um, that means hopefully we're doing something right. Um, there'll be shorter ones sometimes, longer ones sometimes. We'll interrupt more and less, or or we will try not to interrupt guests when they're on good points. Um, and I think uh, that was really a, a good conversation. Oh, very much so. And abroad as well. We just we covered quite a bit. Yeah, and we got interviewed ourselves about the Sailorland, the the Sailanders, the Sailanders, and it's good actually for us to, not not, I mean not to, not to say that we live in a in this wonderful country. Fuck, I sound like Mandela. Jesus Christ, not that we like. You don't sound need, like Mandela. At we all. need to defend this like beautiful Rainbow Nation bullshit, but you know it's not that bad for some of us. Well, not for me, so I don't give a shit about anyone else <laughs> at the moment. Yeah, privileged bastard. All right. Well, if uh, if you are in Cape Town, if Cape Town still exists because the storm is still raging, um, then we hope you've enjoyed the podcast. If you're anywhere else, we know you have because you're not backwards um, by living in Cape Town. It is all you lefties who live in Cape Town. Uh, as you always, you can find us on uh, the internet uh, at Renegade underscore report on Twitter. Uh, Renegade report both our group and our page on Facebook. Uh, and Roman at Roman Kabanek, Ramon, and myself at Jonathan underscore Whit. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time. Cheers. Cliffcentral.com.